Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 93 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian, the Time Elemental Gottlieb. Uh, explain. Time Elemental is one of my favorite magic cards of all time. Surprisingly, because it sees zero play now, saw almost no play in the past. But when I was a wee squirt just starting out in magic, Time Elemental always captured my fancy. But right now I'm referencing it because I wish I was a Time Elemental. I am so sick of waiting to play with these awesome guilds of Ravnica <laughs> cards i can't take it anymore i just want the full set i want to build decks i want i want to dive in man i i'm so excited to finally be in this new standard i'm already diving in man i don't know what's what's taking you so long me too i mean I, i've built my share of decks and if you've read my articles you see i have stuff out there but they're like instantly invalidated as soon as you put them forth it's it's time to work on something new or there's a new piece that completely changes how you would approach the problem you were trying to solve so there is value in doing the exercise anyway. Don't get me wrong. I, I still think it's a, a worthwhile endeavor. It's just I want to I want to work on my final drafts now. I, I've done a lot of brainstorming, a lot of early work, but it's time to get to the absolute core of these decks and figure out what's going on in this new format. Word. I, I agree with you. I do think a lot has changed in a week. Certainly, we're we're up, I don't know, 80 cards or something in this preview season. We're at 104 total as of this recording. And I found that by building decks more so last week, but also as things were trickling in this, this week, it was just like, Oh, this deck would be great, but it's missing a certain thing. Like, you know, this sort of effect or whatever. And then uh, lo and behold, we got a bunch of those. So I'm pretty happy now. And my brewing wheels are turning. Yeah. Yeah. You get to keep an eye out for exactly what you're looking for. And, and maybe that's a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing. You don't want to tunnel in this early on in the process. You want to stay open to new things as they come down the pipeline. I don't think that's a problem here. We're always looking for every possible angle we can find, but you can see it causing damage if you get too fixated on an idea too early in the process. Absolutely. Uh, I, th- I think it's probably just a good idea to get right into things. We have a lot of cards to cover and... Yes, I sorted them by guild with loose relation to that guild because there there are some monocolored cards that don't have a watermark or anything, but it's just like, okay, this, this kind of fits here. So right. uh, bear with me as we go through this kind of like loose sorted order. I'm willing to trust your judgment, put them where you need to, and we'll sort it out afterwards. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's better than just going one by one, jumping around a bunch, I think. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should start with Golgari. There have been some nice ones previewed uh, up to and including Assassin's Trophy. So if you have somehow not seen this card, it is BG Instant, destroy target permanent, any permanent, including land, and opponent controls, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, notably untapped, then shuffle their library. So I, I did read your article. I 
can certainly relate to you thinking for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes that this was non-land permanent or maybe that the basic land ETB tapped or something along those lines. But no, it's it's actually just way better. Yeah, it's so funny how our brain establishes these shortcuts when it comes to magic. And I I swear my brain inserted those words onto this card without oh, them yeah. being present. I was oh, yeah. 100% convinced that's what this card did for a, a very brief period, thankfully. So I didn't write something exceedingly stupid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, this is a format changer, right? This is a very, very important card. Not only for standard, but also certainly modern, maybe legacy. Yeah, that's my take as well. Flexibility, how how can you there there's never been with the exception of something like Vindicate, which is in a lot of ways much clunkier, this is the most flexible tool we've had in a very very long time as far as removal goes. And does it come with a downside? Sure, absolutely. But, you know, cards like Path Exile have shown that if you properly both build and plan around that downside, these cards are very much worth it. And you don't always have to cast them. Like You don't have to destroy their creature on turn two every time. And Assassin's Trophy, you should best regard it not as your default removal spell. This should not be replacing things like Fatal Push in your builds. Instead, it's filling in those flex slots where you see cards like Maelstrom Pulse. Or you know, if you're st- stretching into Jun Colors, you're, you're seeing cards like Dreadbore or Terminate. This does a much better job of filling those slots. I 100% agree with you. Uh, From building some standard decks, I found that Assassin's Trophy with Vraska's Contempt, you already have enough versatility that you don't need to max on both of those cards. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is a mistake that people are going to be making. They're going to just play Assassin's Trophy over things like Cast Down because they think that Assassin's Trophy is more versatile. But like you noted, you don't necessarily want to pull the trigger on this on turn two. Yeah, and... The drawback of giving your opponent a land in standard is so much more dramatic than the drawback in modern. And modern has all these must-destroy permanents of all kinds of types. Like standard is a little bit more, here's my creature, here's my planeswalker. And we have tools to deal with creatures and planeswalkers. We're less inclined to look for the flexibility of Assassin's Trophy. But where you have to deal with Blood Moon and you have to deal with Tron pieces, that's where Assassin's Trophy is really going to shine. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I think we're on the same page. I don't know that I agree with this card pre-ordering for $35 as it is currently. Right, that's crazy. But crazy. Uh, it is it is definitely going to be a modern staple and almost certainly a standard staple as well. It's just I don't think that this card is necessarily going to be an automatic four of like I think a lot of people are already thinking it is. I'm I'm with you there. Next up we have Vraska Golgari Queen, two BG Planeswalker with four starting loyalty. Plus two, you may sacrifice another permanent. Again, this does not say non-land. If you do, you gain one life and draw a card. Minus three, destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost three or less. And the ultimate is minus nine. You get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. Are we ready to declare this like the new world order of Planeswalkers? Because I, I think it's something we've mentioned a bunch of times now, how it seems like Planeswalkers are asking for more out of your deck building. And I think Veraska is continuing that trend where, in my eyes, this is going to be an extremely powerful tool in decks that are built around it. And it's not just automatic four of in every single black green deck and 
necessarily going to be dominant all the time. But if you are properly built to take advantage of a card like Veraska, it will be extremely, extremely powerful, as well as just being like a chase limited card that people will always be excited to open. I agree with that. I don't think that Vraska is necessarily asking you as much uh, as far as deck building constraints than something like Liliana from Corset. Agreed. Vraska could just go in most black green decks, even if you don't have a thing that you want to sacrifice immediately, just having a four mana planeswalker that starts at six loyalty and then you can minus twice. And you can also in the late game, start throwing away excess lands that you don't necessarily care about. And yeah, if you have any way to get value off it, it's awesome. I'm not like blown away by Vraska. I do think she's going to be good and I'm definitely interested in building around her, but the pretty normal undergrowth stuff, I'm not sure where Vraska fits into that exactly. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, one of the things worth noting too is that the emblem requires you to have creatures in your deck and usually like you want more creatures to really take advantage of this kind of effect. Like if you're just the type of deck that sticks a unbeatable say six six hexproof creature at the end of the day you're not super excited to have this effect it's something that is benefited by a deck that seeks to go a little bit wider generate some board presence now granted there's a lot of room for Vraska to be good without leaning on its ultimate but i like the fact that it's still pushing you towards a certain type of deck as opposed to just being automatic you win the game as soon as you do this ultimate yeah that's true I just mostly see her as an engine type thing. And if you have a window to use the ultimate, cool. But yeah, it's not anything that I'm necessarily building my deck around. Right. A, a piece of value here. I, I wonder if there was a moment too where I also wrote non-land into this card, <laughs> seeing that it was black green and just like didn't really get the, oh, if I top deck this in the late game when I have eight lands in play, I just get to burn all those lands and immediately generate new cards. That's a really nice effect for it. And bumps Vraska up a little bit in my eyes. I, I think your assessment is spot on. A solid card, one that will certainly see play. I'm not afraid of this card, though, the way I was when like, I saw Teferi and was like, uh-oh, this card right, seems really right. good. Veraska just seems like a good, solid Planeswalker that will certainly be part of the format. Right. No, I, I definitely agree with that, too. I, I, it does seem very beatable, but I think the decks that are doing green-black things, I mean, you know, they, they want to have some sort of card advantage, card filtering ability, and this recursive removal thing. I'm not sure... Uh, how many great targets there are for the minus three that aren't creatures. Like you can blow up a search for Escanto, which is pretty cool, but notably mm-hmm. you're, you're missing out on Conclave Tribunal and a lot of the other planeswalkers yeah. that see play and everything. So, you know, good, solid, but I'm not blown away. Same. Next card, find finality. And I wish I could turn my computer sideways so I could read this. <laughs> yeah, these are tough. In in case you guessed, this is a split card. Uh, The first half is fine. It is HH for Golgari, so B slash G, B slash G. Sorcery, return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And the other side is finality, 4BG, sorcery. You may put two plus one plus one counters on a creature you control, then all other creatures get minus four, minus four until end of turn. This is a weird card. It seems like the type of thing that these, again, Golgari decks are going to be looking to do, playing a longer game, grinding, getting value where they can. Exactly. One of my favorite styles of magic. Both sides are a little overcosted for constructed, right? I mean, we've never been excited to have either of these effects at this price. But 
in conjunction, you can see the flexibility. Again, flexibility is super important and it'll always add a few points to the mana cost where you're getting this kind of flexibility. Having a mass removal spell combined with just a card that you can use in control matchups where you know they're attempting to kill all of your threats and now it's the late game and you get back two threats. It's, it's, it's never dead, essentially. It'll be good against for both aggro and control. And that leads me to believe this could be you know a one of, two of in dedicated Golgari decks. Oh, I absolutely love this card. Love it. Wow. So how do you see this card slotting in? Do you agree with my assessment and you just think it's better than I'm giving it credit for? Or do you have a different use in mind? Mostly, I I do feel like, you know, you're looking at it from the spectrum of versus aggro and versus control. But what what about against mid-range? I mean, both sides of this card are just insane mid-range breakers. Yeah, both sides turn on there. And you're saying that find is a little bit overcosted, but I mean, it's not like you have a double raise dead for one mana. I think like that's pretty generous. And if you're a stitcher supplier deck, find is basically just a two mana draw to, which is kind of incredible. Okay. Okay. Uh, I guess it depends what creatures we're returning. Like what, what do our green, what does our green black creature base look like right now? What are our best green black creatures that we're often bringing back with find? Chupacabra is one. Oh, that's a nice one. I mean, just borderland ranger, kite sail freebooter, more Stitcher suppliers. There's like some Golgari stuff on the top end, like uh, Zoni Thousand Eyed. Yeah, an interesting card. Well, you start stapling some some value onto the creatures I'm returning, and I start getting real excited. And you know, it right. becomes not not just a two for one, but like a four for one in some cases. Yeah, I mean, you have things like Jade Light Ranger and District Guide. Uh, District Guide is the new Borderland Ranger, and you're almost certainly going to be making your land drops with those sorts of cards in your deck, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's not like getting you, you to finality with consistency. Right. But it's not like you would, you know, cast find hit two creatures and just not be able to cast them. Right. Like I, I do think that it, it is mostly a pure draw to where you're going to be hitting your land drops, assuming you build your deck correctly. And then this is just exactly what you want. And if you're doing enough self milling, explore stuff, then I think it is just kind of like, you know, double demonic tutor or whatever. It's just like uh, assuming you have, creatures that do things and i think with between like freebooter jade light ranger chupacabra and Izoni, you have a good mix of different things that you can get with find yeah it feels like it's been a minute since that's been kind of a successful way to approach standard and you keep mentioning district guide maybe we should just talk about district guide right now since we've mentioned it a few times already why don't you give that a read and just go through it so we can check that off yeah District Guide is one of those cards that I was kind of talking about where I was building all these decks and it's like, man, I would just kill for a Borderland Ranger. And thankfully, Civic Wayfinder was in OG Ravnica and we got a new one. So it's 2G22, Creature Elf Scout. When this enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land or gate. Reveal it. Put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And unless you're three colors... I don't think you're really doing the gate thing. I think that's just, you know, a little bit of trinket text for limited, but it's still kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love this effect. I love Borderland Rangers. I love Civic Wayfinder. They're one of my favorite card types of all time. I think they're such an underrated piece of constructed magic. They function as glue with a lot of three color mana bases. They are just good value way to ensure you're always curving out. And something that a deck like the type of deck we're talking about right now that's going to play a grindy game and rely on something like fine finality ultimately it really benefits from having this style of card 
somewhere in your usually 60, but occasionally 75 if you have to, you know, look for them for a specific reason. But it's just not a style of magic that feels like it's been around lately. Like the Borderland Ranger, Civic Wayfinder type stuff. It's one of those things that I worry about it being outmoded. And I go to too often because it's one of my old default modes of deck building, something I've used to success in the past. So I look to it in the present and it feels like maybe it's not the type of magic we play anymore, but I could just be wrong. I I mean, it really depends on what the tools are around it and standards obviously constantly evolving just because the last three standards were such that maybe we wouldn't have been interested in the effect. It doesn't mean this standard is going to have the same, you know, kind of texture to it. No, I I think Borderland Ranger is still good. I mean, so my article this week is basically all about that card. And it's looking at some of the history of the decks that were successful with it and the commonalities between them and even just comparing it to Rogue Refiner, right? Like that card was really the glue that held together Teamer, Saltai, those sorts of decks because you had this thing that you could play on turn three, develop your board, and also just get like a little bit of card advantage to ensure that you get to keep playing the game. And right. Think about from the red-black side of things. Like, How many times did you see a red-black player lose because they didn't hit their fourth land or their fourth land didn't ETB untapped? You know, Those decks just didn't have a tool that would allow them to do things like that. And we had kind of supercharged versions of these things where you know I think Rogue Refiner kind of falls under that category. But Tireless Tracker, Nissa Vastwood Seer, I mean, these cards have just right. always been good. Yeah, I, I guess that's like... Part of my concern is that they this version of this effect has been supercharged for a little while. So it feels like this is a step back. But again, that doesn't mean it's not of constructed level playable. It's 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 just different from what we've had recently. And we have to readjust our expectations, you know, and, and things are changing pretty notably in Magic right now. I would say we keep going back to the Planeswalker thing where they are becoming less the best cards available. But also the printing of Assassin's Trophy heralds a return to like good, versatile answers, which is something that we've kind of bemoaned the lack of for a little while now. So eh, maybe we're looking at a general shift that's going to make a card like this not just good, but excellent. Well, one thing that I'll note about these gold sets too is that when you have good mana and powerful gold cards, and a lot of these cards are very value-based, the games just end up being like grindier and people find a way to fit all of the good cards into their deck and those good cards are ultimately going to be pretty grindy, right? So like, I mean, this does kind of harken just like a return to classic magic in general anyway. Uh, fingers crossed. I really hope so. Yeah, magic's tight. <laughs> like, yeah. Especially especially when there's, you know, Ravnica guards and Shocklands and stuff. So yeah. Uh, yeah, district, yeah. district Guide is huge. I think it is hands down one of the most impactful cards in the set. Uh, I, I really hope that's true because I love when that is a good card. It's just It just heralds good things for magic. Yeah, absolutely. We're kind of missing a, a big five drop to capitalize on this thing that allows you to hit all your land drops. Previously, it would have been Glorybringer, Stormbreath Dragon, things like that. We have Demanding Dragon, which is just not even close to the same thing. So I'm I'm kind of waiting. Okay. Yeah, it's still, still a lot of cards left to see. Yeah, regardless, I mean, it's an elf. You have uh, some elf synergies going on. There are likely going to be a lot of three, maybe some four color decks. Like this, this card's insane. Yeah, there's quite a few elves floating around this set, actually. So that's that's a good synergy to keep an eye on. And we we mentioned this card, so might as well talk about it here. This is Izani, Izoni, Thousand-Eyed. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it is 2 BBGG, so 6 mana total, 2-3 Legendary Creature, Elf Shaman. 
Undergrowth, when this enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 black and green insect creature token for each card in your graveyard and has BG, sack another creature, you gain one life and draw a card. I think this card is quite good. And you have to work a little bit for it, but this is just going to be an absolute game breaker in a lot of situations and kind of doing like a weird Ishkana type deal. You know, the tokens are very different. Don't get me wrong. We, We don't have the reach, but just this kind of late game inevitability that also it's kind of did this weird thing where it just like led into more copies of itself. It gave you more time to keep things going. I could see a Zoni doing the same thing. Like you play a Zoni, it holds the ground for multiple turns all the while you're drawing cards, gaining life, stabilizing, getting to your next copy, which is now even bigger, man. As, as I lay this out, this style of Golgari is so exciting. I hope this is a deck so badly. Dude, it looks really good. It yeah. honestly does. I mean, this this is one of the few decks where on paper, it's just like, oh, you kind of just have everything. And this this was even before uh, Vraska got previewed when I was building these decks. So mm-hmm. I like it. And then uh, find finality, I think, is just kind of the nail in the coffin where you have fine to get back these relevant creatures. And if the board ever stalls, you have finality to make a big threat and clear things up. So. Yeah, and you know, as I kind of look at all these cards stacked next to each other, I am seeing a very clear, like if you were playing block constructed, this deck would be off the charts on power level, right? It does so many insane things. Actually, I don't know if I'm going to successfully sell this to Cedric. We'll see. But I would love to write an article on this set's block constructed. I realize it's a completely irrelevant format, but it informs so much of like what you're capable of in standard. I think it would be a really interesting exploration and, and maybe unlock some new deck ideas along the way. So keep an eye out for that. I'll see if I can get that through and, and we'll talk a little block constructed at some point. Yeah, I like that idea. That sounds cool. Next card I wanted to talk about is Molder Hulk. This is 7BG for a 6-6 Fungus Zombie. Undergrowth, this spell costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. When this enters the battlefield, return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. I don't know that I buy this card as much. I, I think we have to work really hard to get this card to hit the kind of rates we're looking for in Constructed. At around four mana, it becomes really really good five mana it's like acceptable so you know you're talking four creatures in your graveyard early on in the game again if you're doing stitcher supplier stuff and your deck is mostly creatures that seems plausible to me and having a ramp spell attached to your six six body sounds really sweet it's just a question of how else are you getting paid on really making sure creatures are ending up in your graveyard because this is something you'll have to actively engage with it's not something that you get to play for passive value um so if we're able to do that i can see molder hulk Hulk being a big part of that strategy i'm not a hundred percent convinced that's exactly where we want to be if we just want to be completely all in on feeding our graveyard as quickly as possible but still a lot of cards to come so that could totally change yeah i agree i think molder hulk you, you kind of nailed it. Uh, I think five is kind of the key number as far as making that thing cost four mana. Obviously, in the late game, it's it's probably only going to cost two. but mm, Which is nice. Yeah. But if we're talking about, you know, can we play four of this in a deck? I think right. you need five cards in the graveyard immediately, five creature cards. And that seems really, really difficult. So I, I do think that this is mostly just a limited plant. And maybe, maybe there's some sort of beat down Golgari deck with this and maybe the other four mana six, six or whatever. But for the most part, I'm kind of looking to pass on this, at least for now. One, one thing that I will point out though is like Vraska's plus two works so well with Stitcher supplier. 
It does. It, I mean, that was the first card that came to mind when yeah. I, I read that. I'm like, oh, I get to sacrifice my Stitcher supplier. Sweet. So you're right. You can you can start chaining really quickly with you know not a whole ton of setup. And that's the thing about Stitcher supplier, right? Is all these cards where you would basically never consider Molder Hulk under most circumstances. But as soon as Stitcher supplier is around, it, it becomes a lot more plausible looking, and it, it does that for every single one of these <laughs> undergrowth cards. So Stitcher supplier is going to be an incredibly important card going forward. Yeah, and we're basically just waiting for one more enabler, you know, one sort of grizzly salvage type thing. Mm-hmm. And exactly. then we're just off to the races and we can actually try and figure out, you know, how many creatures am I going to have in my graveyard on average on this turn and is Molder Hulk playable? Yeah. But for right now, I'm passing. Yeah, I'm mostly with you. I, I could see like one or two as a top end in some decks with the pieces we have now, but yep. need more. Uh, next card, Nullhide Ferox, 2GG Mythic Beast. That is also a 6-6. It has Hexproof, and you can't cast non-creature spells. However, any player may pay two to make Nullhide Ferox lose all abilities until end of turn. And if a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this, put it onto the battlefield instead of putting it into your graveyard. So, super weird card. I, I think it's funny that there's a card that punishes Karn and a card that punishes Nicol Bolas in this set that amuses me to no end. This is an elegant, I, I think is how I would describe it. it. It feels very clunky. feels like it has a lot of ability stapled onto it. But when I get to the package and, and see what's actually going on here, I kind of like it despite its inelegance. I certainly prefer it to just being another huge hexproof threat that you can never deal with. I, I really like this mode of hexproof. I hope we see more of it in the future. I think it's really interesting to go back to kind of this Mercadian masks. Any player can play, can activate this ability. Weird stuff, <laughs> but a, a cool application. It basically makes it kind of like a frost titan where all your removal spells cost two more. And I'm much happier to see something like that than pure hexproof. I, I like that it's still punishing a specific mode of interaction. It obviously drastically punishes bolus very very hard punish but it also is a difficult card to remove it's obviously under costed you have to pay a very high cost for doing null hide ferric stuff your deck you know is almost certainly if you're playing like four of this card it probably has like three spells in it otherwise you're just being punished way too hard you have to be an entirely creature based deck which is something we've seen at least close to it recently and i buy this as a constructed player I buy it as an interesting way to present this kind of solution to a problem mode of interaction or a perceived problem mode of interaction, but I'm not really like over the moon over it. It's not like I need to start building null hide ferrex decks immediately or my head will explode. It's just like a cool little thing that I I think I'm I'm glad it exists. I'm not sure I'm glad that it exists, but I I do think that it's solid and you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what people can do with this. I mean, obviously, this is a very aggressive card, and maybe you have like this plus Vine Mare in you know some sort of green stompy ish deck. We saw yeah, that the bodies deck last are big season. in that deck, man. They're so the bodies are so yeah. big. Yeah, Steel Leaf Champion too, and like yeah. what what do you need spells for? You know, right, right. So maybe that's a thing. Who knows. Yeah, maybe there's just a beatdown Golgari deck that has this and Molder Hulk, and they're just very, very good at making four mana six sixes. Could be. Could be. I could buy that. Yeah, weird, weird card, man. I don't know. Well, look, I tr- keep trying new things as it relates to Hexproof. I'm, I'm cool with that. The less pure Hexproof, the better. So I encourage this process. 
No, I do too. I mean, I would be down with any sort of uh, like one-shot Kira or Divine Shield from Hearthstone sort of thing, you know? Yep. Yeah, those are good. Next card is Secrets of the Mausoleum. 1B Instant. I don't know why this card's an instant. Undergrowth. Search your library for a black card with CMC less than or equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Reveal it, add it to your hand, and shuffle your library. This feels either broken or irrelevant and not a whole lot of ground in between. Like, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to do any fair things ever. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just like a part of the Golgari deck we keep talking about because obviously, you know, all these spells are both green and black and you can find your Arizoni or you can find your find finality what converted mana cost do you have to reach to get find finality at this point? i don't even probably, know where the rules stand. probably eight <laughs> is it eight i think yeah so. I, I think i think that's right but it's changed so many times recently i'm really not sure yeah eight eight is kind of rough not gonna lie oh yeah yeah for sure i don't know i i think magic is better off without too much of this this is a lot of hoops to jump through and usually if you're going to lay all these hoops out it's because you recognize how dangerous a card like this is and probably uh, have appropriately made it difficult to achieve what it's designed to do. So I think this card probably does nothing. If I'm wrong, then I'm very, very wrong, and it's probably busted. Yeah, I, th- I think it also mostly does nothing. It it seems kind of cool in theory where this could just be multiple different pieces of your engine, but I don't think it's going to play out that way. Hmm. That's what you want it to do. You want it to be like this fun value card that gets progressively better through the game and you get to play this cool toolbox and have all these answers. But that's not that's not what's happening here. It's either going to be busted or it's just it's it's too high of a cost to play that kind of game. Yep, definitely agree. Next card is Midnight Reaper, which is 2B32 Zombie. Zombie Knight. Ooh, another knight. That's great. Yeah. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, this deals one damage to you and you draw a card. So you've cast Grim Harrispecs in your time. Yes, I have. Uh, How do you feel about this one? Harrispecs was very good. Remind me, do you know the exact text of Harrispecs offhand? I don't remember exactly. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, draw a card. Yeah, I, I didn't think there was the damage clause on there. In most cases... That damage clause probably isn't going to mean a whole bunch, but when it does, it's going to be extremely impactful. The fact that Midnight Reaper triggers triggers itself is nice, uh, a nice little piece of value. But I I think that the damage clause probably relegates this to sideboard usage, you know, an answer to opposing removal spells, opposing sweepers. Uh, This is a real, real nice one. The problem is Settle the Wreckage laughs at this card and makes it feel a little silly. So there has to be some other kind of sweeper being played that we really want. Midnight Reaper to fill the role of anti-sweeper tech. It's less powerful than Harrispecs for sure, even though it does get a little value from itself. Fringe player is my guess on this one. I think this card is pretty good. I think even if this just shows up independent of anything else where, you know, say you're playing a mono black aggro-ish deck, this this is just a fine card on its own. Uh, similarly to District Guide, I would have been very happy with some sort of Phyrexian Rager type of thing. And this is pretty close. I guess I will say that I played, when I was building decks very early on in the format, one was like Narcomoeba Zombies. And I was playing like the intro deck three drop in my zombie deck. Well, Midnight Reaper is also a zombie. So it certainly is better than the intro deck three drop and it's doing something in that spot. Yeah. So maybe Zombies is, a, is an interesting little uh, place for this card to find some points. And 
you know, you have a lot of disposable creatures in deck like that, like Narcomeva, like Stitcher Supplier that you're happily throwing away. And when this is on the battlefield, that gets out of control real quickly. Yeah, it's it's a zombie and a knight. So if nothing else, people are going to try this card in tribal decks. Yeah, so two good tribal it's, decks. It's going to hit. It's going to hit. Okay, I could see that. And we are off of Golgari. Uh, that was a lot of cards for them, though. Yeah, they have a lot of powerful stuff thus far. I'd put them in the lead. If the, if the guilds are having a, a race thus far, Golgari cards are certainly in the lead. Oh, yeah, because we're on to Boros now. And man, it is it is slim pickings. Yeah. <laughs> First card is Deafening Clarion. One R-Dub, Sorcery. Choose one or both. This deals three to each creature or creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. So two abilities that are basically only good against creature decks. What is this? What is this card? This this makes no sense to me. I want you I, I was hoping you would come on and be a defender of this card and be like, oh, here's what it's designed to do and, and the role it's supposed to play. It just seems like two of the goofiest combination of abilities that I've ever seen together on a magic card. But you see, it's it's Boros and it has damage to things and lifelink. So you have a red ability. And a white ability. I can tell you really believe this wholeheartedly as, as you give this description. <laughs> this is just the goofiest card I've ever seen. And I haven't yet gotten past my amazement that it exists to actually evaluate it as a constructed card. I think it's like a mediocre wrath that if a Boros deck needs access to this card, maybe they'll play it. Uh, but man, what a weird combination of abilities. They're so separate. You almost never will choose both. I mean, I get it. There's spots where both will apply, but what does your deck look like? How have you built your deck where you're happily casting both modes on this card? And if you're not, then why does it exist? I I don't know. I, I don't get this card at all. What if it was like, all right, we want a three mana, three damage sweeper because those matter in standard, right? Right. And maybe we don't want it to be mono red because it's a guild thing. So which, which thing can we do? All right. If we make it Boros, what happens? And then how do we make it white? Okay, let's give your creatures lifelink, I guess. I don't know. That's the hackiest, most tacked on <laughs> way to make it Boros. I've hey man, completely possible. If there is some sort of red or white mid-range deck, presumably that deck is going to want a three mana, three damage sweeper, and they're probably going to have some bigger creatures, right? So I, I feel like this could either take out the first wave of Mono Red's aggressive stuff, or this just locks it up in the late game. I mean, I agree that this card is not pretty or anything, but I do think it's going to be completely serviceable against creature decks. This is the current equivalent of a 4-4 Black-Green Flying Vigilance creature. It it just doesn't make any sense, and no no amount of <laughs> finagling is going to convince me that this is a well-designed magic card. I, I just can't get past it. No, man, that's fine. Uh, I I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying that this card does things and it is playable. If if your deck is the classic red white mid range, you know you probably have like some Lyras as your top end and hopefully a good four drop with a body yeah. behind it. That's <laughs> that's where this card is going. Double double lifelink your Lyra. Yeah. An- another style of deck that I am typically like pretty against the the red white mid-rangey decks haven't impressed me for a very long time i just think they're fundamentally conflicted but every now and then one can race to the top of the format this card will probably be a part of that if the deck exists i don't see any other real support for it as it stands right now i would note yeah maybe if for some reason you want to be jess guy 
Uh, maybe, maybe. I, I don't think you're getting full value out of the the backside in that case. But ultimately, it it doesn't matter. Then you just you need your three damage sweeper, and this will be it. Yep. Next card is Response Resurgence. So another split card. Uh, we have HH for Boros Instant. This deals five damage to target attacking or blocking creature. Solid. Yeah. Uh, backside is Resurgence three R Dub Sorcery. Creatures you control gain first strike and vigilance until end of turn. After this main phase, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. So kind of relentless assaulty, but creates weird situations where you can actually go, like you can do combat, go to second main phase, and then cast this, assuming you had some creatures that didn't attack or your things already had vigilance or something. I don't know. This card's weird. Yeah, it's a weird one. I think it's interesting though, and you know, pretty impactful in any kind of attacking mirrors. Um, I, I can see this making the cut. It can't be hyper aggro because you know, in a lot of spots, this is a little bit too expensive. But where it's more of like a mid range creature battle, I could see this being a game breaker in some instances, a mirror breaker possibly, where first strike really matters and vigilance really matters. A weird card for sure, but one with some applications. And and the front side removal spell is like, it's fine. I'm never thrilled to have that kind of condition stapled on my removal spell, but it's going to get the job done in a lot of spots. Yeah, for actual mirror matches, I find it hard to believe that this is going to actually be a breaker because generally sizing or like some sort of planeswalker advantage is basically all that matters. Mm. So I don't know. This card is weird to me. It strikes me as a very good limited card, right? But constructed applications, I'm not really seeing it. Although I guess if uh, you know you wanted a two mana five damage removal spell in your Jeskai control deck, you could relentless assault your Lyra, Lyra yeah, or that's whatever. Cute. But, that's cute. Or maybe deafening Clarion, give your things lifelink. Sure, also, why not? Just live the dream. Yeah, Goblin Crater Maker is the last. Boros affiliated card, which is not even Boros affiliated. I'm just uh, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel here, but it is one R for a two, two goblin with no downside. What the hell? What year is this? Goblins have gotten better. Yeah. Uh, so you can pay one mana, sacrifice this, choose one. This deals two to target creature or destroy target colorless non-land permanent. So target Karn, Karn or Emrakul. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, this is a good card for goblins. I mean, we talked a little bit about the early drops being what that deck was missing thus far. Nice little half removal spell stapled on to a big effect in some matchups. Destroying Karn is going to be very important for your little two drop. Uh, and then just being a goblin body to take advantage of all the tribal synergies. So good good catch for goblins here. I, I think this is part of that deck almost certainly. Yeah, solid filler. It, it is likely going to see play. And and that's that's it for Boros. Very sad times. On to is it? Yeah. Hopefully, there's more Boros stuff coming. Otherwise, those mages are not going to be very happy. I don't know. We got the War Boss and uh, Conclave Tribunal, which I guess is technically Celestia, but still. Yeah. So is it has Niv Mizzet Perrin? This is six total mana. U U U R R R for a five five legendary creature dragon wizard. This spell can't be countered. Flying. Whenever you draw a card, this deals one damage to any target. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, you draw a card. 
I wonder if Niv Mizzet did something horrible to someone at Wizards at some point where he just never gets a great card. He gets like these fine cards that are right on the edge and you're like, well, maybe I can make this work and and maybe this is the best thing I can do in my control deck, but it never quite gets there. And I think this is going to do the exact same thing. Uh, that mana cost is tough. You basically, you know, almost certainly have to be base blue-red with with no frills, nothing, nothing fancy. You're not playing Field of Ruin anymore. Yeah, it's just like I want more. If I'm I'm putting this much effort into my six mana creature, I want it to do more. And just necessarily getting a card back when it gets killed isn't going to do anything for me. And in the hyper late game, awesome card. Awesome card. When you're getting to like 12 lands in play, this is going to be borderline unbeatable. So maybe it has a role as like a one of inside boards for control mirrors. But on the whole, a little underwhelmed by this card. Sarkin Fireblood. Wait. Who, who, what now? We're, we're playing it with Sarkin's Fireblood? Dude, just play this card with three mana Sarkin. Uh, it gets better, for sure. Is it, I mean, are we really building our deck around Niv-Mizzet payoffs? Aren't there better things to do with our dragons? Like, do you want a deck with Bolas and oh, yeah. Niv-Mizzet in it? You want to go yeah. the full... Spitflame, oh Dragon's Horde, let's go. Okay, okay. Someone is going to have to build that mana base for me. I'm not smart enough. So I will leave that up to you to make it work. Just don't play Swamp. Don't play Basic Swamp <laughs> and you'll be okay. Do you think it's that easy? I mean, I think there's more here than just don't play Basic Swamp. That's a demanding, demanding mana cost. Watery Grave, Steam Vents, 12 check lands, and then some basics. You have Dragon Sword to fix also. Sarkin fixes for Niv-Mizzet specifically. Mm-hmm. It just means you can't Dragon play like Vraska's Contempt. Right, right. Your removal has to change. Okay, I, I will try it. I still think that the payoff isn't quite there on Niv-Mizzet. So if this deck succeeds, I'm just buying it because Sarkin is a very good card, which is still very much lacking something to ramp into. This yeah. is that sweet spot where you get to untap with Sarkin, and, and now you do have a playable six drop, which it completely lacked before. Like your best payoff was Glorybringer, probably. Some weirdo dragon. Now you get to go to Niv-Mizzet. A uh, lot better option. It, it just seems like it should do more, though. I, I don't know. I buy it as an inclusion with Sarkin as a card just on its own, underwhelming. Yeah. I mean, most of the time when this dies, you're going to draw a card and get get a a ping. You get a ping too. Yeah, you get it before it goes. Okay. Which is a little bit of of extra value. I don't know that Grixis Dragons is going to be insane or anything, but that is definitely where I want to start building with this card. Otherwise, yeah, I think it's like two of Niv-Mizzet and you just try and play this with 10 lands and like play some spells to get extra value before it dies. Okay. Next card, more split cards, which are difficult to read. Expansion Explosion. This is, is it split card? HH instant. Copy target instant or sorcery spell with CMC four or less. You may choose new targets for the copy. Meh. And the explosion side? The explosion side is X-U-U-R-R instant. Uh, This deals X to any target. Target player draws X cards. I don't know what this is supposed to do. I mean, you could maybe talk me into expansion without that clause. I, we've seen Forks certainly see play. Fork, Fork itself used to be a powerful card. Uh, there's versions of this effect that are fine. I don't know. I, I, I'm having a hard time envisioning what exactly we want to do with this. What is the thing where, what's our bread and butter copy here? What are we really looking yeah, to I have no idea. copies of? I have no idea. It's hard to say. At at that mana investment, 
it really needs to be a pretty big payoff and I'm not seeing it right now. Obviously, I don't have to tell you that Explosion is a great top deck very late in the game. It'll do a lot, but you need to get something on the front side too, or Explosion is just a, a little bit too expensive, one mana too expensive to be precise. So the front side has to matter in order to justify Explosion, and I can't see the front side mattering all that often. Yeah, I feel like this is a one of, if anything, but I, I could be wrong because I also probably said the same thing about Sphinx's Revelation. So what the hell do I know? I, I could buy that. And, you know, it's worth noting that you can use expansion to win a counter war if that becomes something that's important. So, you know, there's an application for you. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with your assessment. One of very powerful top deck in the late game. But if, in order to be more than that, there has to be something that we really want to copy with expansion. And I don't know what that is right now. It's possible that there is some sort of counter burn deck and explosion is a very good finisher, but you're going to need a lot of chip damage. And I, I guess the reason I bring this up is only because this next card exists. Ionize. One UR instant counter target spell. This deals two damage to that spell's controller. Yeah, this card is more important for its mana cost than the additional clause. Like oh, a, yeah. a deck that is not heavy blue getting access to a hard counter spell is very, very important. Base red decks that are just splashing blue, um, not having to just choose negate or essence scatter and getting the full Monty with a little bit of damage slapped on. Uh, big pickup for them, for sure. I don't think I want straight counter burn, though. Like I, I'm, I'm not incentivized as of yet to start building that deck. I don't see the pieces there. There's still a lot of cards to come, though. So maybe at some point I'll see like, oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be aggressively using ionize in the main deck and getting chip damage and taking our opponents out that way. Not yet, though. Still still have to see more. From building Grixis Dragons, it was like, oh, OK, like maybe this could use ionize because you might have some chip damage from like Chain Whirler and maybe some cheaper threats. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it is super weird. Is it to me is just mono weirdness? there is cohesion where it's like okay this this is the class that's like doing all these wonky things with spells but i'm not really seeing constructed applications for a lot of this stuff yeah that's how as it goes a lot of the times it's supposed to be like this crazy experimental things and they don't always pan out uh you know same with fire minds research which is the card we talked about last week where it seems like it does a lot and has a lot going on and then you actually get down to nuts and bolts and it's kind of underwhelming i'm seeing a lot of that with the is it cards but as i said a lot of cards still to come so that could change card that i do think is good chemistry's insight three u instant yeah. draw two cards jumpstart this is probably the card that's going to ruin me for the next two years <laughs> as all of my decks will be built around it and i'm excited about this card i think it's quite a good tool for all control decks to have access to missing some of that flexibility we used to get with hieroglyphic illumination not quite the same immediacy and card quality we are used to getting with our Glimmer of Genius, but this fills a very nice role for the four mana draw spell, and I can't wait to discard a land to this in the late game and, and get an additional draw two cards, always keeping my hand topped off. Certainly a major player in control decks going forward. Yeah, you're just going to get to use your mana every turn, which is mm -hmm. insane. And that's and great. Also, yeah. also, you have the value with uh, Sinister Surveillance and Search for Iskanta. Yeah, Absolutely. So yeah, this this card seems sick. I mean, from building control decks, it was, again, one of those things where it's like, oh man, I really need like a four mana draw to, like an illumination or a glimmer. And then this card gets previewed. It's like, okay, that makes sense. I, I totally understand why this card exists. 
Yeah. And I kept saying too, that like a good jumpstart payoff was going to be huge for those surveil decks. It, it was going to make a world of difference. And all those surveils become so much more valuable when you have a card that like you're excited to put into your graveyard. This fills that role very well. You are getting exactly what you want out of your graveyard, you know, self mills when you have chemistry's insight sitting there for the late game. Yeah. Card cards insane. Yep. Next, we have a reprint in Goblin Electromancer. Uh, did not really do anything the first time around. I think uh, two mana, two, two body is generally outclassed. We did see Baral show up in a few different spots and be quite good, but I think Baral had a lot of things going for it, like third toughness, right. the the looting clause was also a legend for Mox Amber in some decks. But you do have like Charter Course with Electromancer and things like Ionize. So in in Chemister's Insight, which we just talked about. So I think there are more better cards to utilize with Electromancer, but I'm still not sold on it. Electromancer is a wizard too, which is a relevant creature type when you're looking to do these types of things. I think your analysis of Electromancer versus Baral though is spot on. A lot of little bits that added up to make Baral a very, very impactful card. And Electromancer is missing some of those. It's not going to fill the same role as Baral did, but there is potential for it to see some play based on both tribal synergies and if there's just like the right value cards. And and things like Jumpstart benefit from this because you are casting the card from your graveyard. So you get a reduction, correct? I believe so. I believe so as well. Uh, I'm waiting for some judge to pop out of left field and tell me I'm wrong, but it's it seems like there would be a reduction here. Um, yeah, so, yeah. No, it works. I mean, it would it would be really awkward if it didn't work. Right. It, it would baffle me. So as you're getting more and more spells to cast throughout the game, you certainly get more benefit from your Electromancer. That speaks in its favor. Uh, I don't have a proposed home for it right now, though, outside of a Wizards-type counter burn deck, which I don't think is quite there, but worth putting together as a thought experiment. You know, so we know what to do if we do get the the cards we're looking for in the future. Yeah, I guess it being a wizard for Wizards Lightning is pretty nice because mm-hmm. those those decks are generally pretty short. It is kind of awkward that you're already sort of getting a reduction off of the Electromancer, but whatever. Right, right. There'll be other spells that you'll be able to cash in with Electromancer. It, it, the, the body type is important there. For sure. Next couple cards I actually like. We have Runaway Steamkin. This is 1R for a 1-1 elemental. Whenever you cast a red spell... If this has fewer than three plus one plus one counters on it, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And you can remove three plus one plus one counters from it to add RRR. So my pressing question is, do you see this as a mono red aggro inclusion? Like, do you think this is good enough for the mono red aggro deck? Oh, yeah. I just see this as a two mana four four. Okay. So I was, I'm, I'm sure about it as the red deck scale up. I think if you are able to take advantage of this mana ability in some spots, this card becomes absolutely bonkers. I was less sure about it in mono red aggro because of the kind of fail state where you top deck it or you just don't have a spell on your next turn. You're sitting there with a two mana one one. And admittedly, my forte is not not in building aggressive decks. So I think I am sometimes a little bit too afraid of downsides when I'm building aggressive decks, but it's it's not my strong suit. So I'm willing to be completely wrong on this card. And if, if it's just good enough for aggressive decks, then this card's a slam dunk hit without a doubt. Most of those creatures are just bad top decks anyway. That is true. There's very few mono red creatures that beat that problem. 
I mean, the old red decks used to kind of skirt that issue by having Earthshaker Kenra and a lot of things that just didn't really go bad late. Bomac Courier. Yeah, I mean, whatever. If if you draw a two mana one one, you're probably losing anyway, because it means that they're stable and you know the game's yeah. not over and whatever, whatever. So uh also, yeah, if you are going bigger, cool. Maybe you kick fight with fire or cast Banefire yeah. with this thing. Who cares? Yeah, I think Fight with Fire might be an important card in this format going forward, uh, especially as it relates to Runaway Steamkin. I mean, it certainly still is a sideboard card. Uh, it's it's not going away. Lyra hasn't gone anywhere. You need outs to it. But I can see Fight with Fire starting to creep into main decks given this kind of payoff. And, you know, Settle the Wreckage certainly going to be an important card going forward as well. Yep. So things things are getting interesting. We have different ways to actually build our red decks. So I, I like that. I like having diversity within uh, just archetypes and uh, colors in general. So I'm, I'm pretty happy sure. that something like that exists where it pulls you in different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Fun card. Cool design. Next card is Arclight Phoenix 3-2 or 3-R for a 3-2 Phoenix uh, is also Mythic Rare. Flying Haste. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you cast three or more instants and or sorceries this turn, you may return this from the graveyard to the battlefield. I know you're excited about this card. I honestly find it kind of underwhelming. So I'll let you go first. I think this card is probably pretty bad in standard, but I think that this card is kind of tight in, you know, things like Mardu Pyromancer. I think I, I would definitely try a couple copies. Yeah, and in our discussion, you you basically got me to the point where I was willing to accept it as a replacement for something like Hazaret or Goblin Rabble Master. I, I can buy that in Mardu Pyromancer. It seems like it's going to have a lot more upside than those cards. Uh, I just think that for this card to make any real penetration into the format, it really needed Kataxin Probe to still be around. Three spells is a lot. Like that's That's a very hefty mana investment. It's a lot of cards in your hand, especially when... You know, you're playing a lot of games with an empty hand when it comes to something like Mardu Pyromancer. If Probe was around to keep the ball rolling, I could buy it a little bit more. I don't think this is going to come back from the Grey Raider as often as people may expect at first blush. I think the front side's a little underwhelming. And like you said in standard, it, it's just not strong enough. I don't think that you're, you're too unlikely to return it. Two damage, very vulnerable to Magma Spray. So it has some problems in standard that can be dealt with in modern, but it really feels like Gataxian Probe's the missing card here. Magma Spray is gone, correct? I thought it was an Ixalan, isn't it? It was definitely an Amonkhet. Okay, so take, take that off the board. This card gets to stick around. It was an Amonkhet, my mistake. Even still, I don't think that fundamentally changes my assessment of the card. There is other exile-based removal out there. And yeah. I just don't think you're getting paid enough on the front side. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I I think the the front side is not very good and returning it is very difficult. I mean, you're not necessarily going to play this in an is it jumpstart deck, are you? Maybe? It just seems so clunky. Like the cards are also clunky. Like maybe you can discard this to a chemist's insight or something, but how the hell are you gonna play three spells, you know? Yeah, three spells is so I, there's just that not that many cheap spells in standard. That's the problem. And the scales as you get more and more cheap spells, which is why I think it's exciting if you have Gataxin Probe, but less so without it. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about Blue Red Delver too. And I think if Blue Red Delver adapts Faithless Looting Bedlam Reveler, that, that could also be a potential home for this card. So I'm, I'm going to get to Bruin. I'm excited. I think it's kind of cool. 
I do think that Bedlam Reveler is kind of the key because like you said, you're it, it's so tough to just have three spells, but Reveler, Faithless Looting, and to some degree Metamorphose, I think helps a lot. Definitely encourages that for sure. So I'm in. I'm I'm sold, at least for modern. What about the fact that like you're already kind of vulnerable to graveyard hate and you're just going even further down that path? Does that does that trouble you at all when it comes to you know combining this with Reveler? No, not really. Because if they're casting rest in peace against me, if a four mana three two is better than what I normally have anyway. That that's true. Okay, <laughs> I can buy that. I mean, it's not a good argument, but it's an argument. It's something, yeah. So on to Demir, we have Dream Eater for you. You four three Nightmare Sphinx, also a Mythic Rare, Flash Flying. When this enters the battlefield, surveil four. When you do, you may return target non land permanent and opponent controls to its owner's hand. Man, if we didn't just play a format with Torrential Gear Hulk, I think I would be really excited about this card. Yeah. Um, and the three toughness. In comparison. Kind of me yeah, too. that's what I was getting to. The fact that you're, this is going to get lightning striked, like I can't think of a more demeaning end for your six drop than just getting lightning striked off the board. I don't know. I, I don't think this is quite good enough to see play. And it's funny because if it was a 4-4, four, four, I, I think it might just be insane. But that one point of vulnerability, the fact that it's going to have a very difficult time making a block. Like imagine if you could flash this down, bounce a whatever, Phoenix, and block a Goblin Chain Whirler, and you're getting Surveil 4 on top of it. Like that's an incredible, incredible swing. But now where it doesn't block particularly well, it's very vulnerable to almost all types of removal. I just think I'm less excited about it. And I could be wrong on this one. Surveil 4 is very, very powerful probably underratedly powerful right now but that fourth point of toughness missing is is really what's holding me back and i'm going to pass for the time being i will try it out you know certainly be an inclusion in a few of my decks at the start of the format just to see exactly where the power level lies i think it's going to be a miss though i feel like this sort of card needs to be in some sort of tempo we deck to really benefit from the bounce and go aggressive real quick i mean it, it has similarities to something like misbind click right that's the card that yeah. comes to mind in a lot of instances and you know surveil four means that you know you get to keep the gas going i i could totally see you sort of chaining these into each other that seems pretty cool yeah. but yeah it does seem it does seem really vulnerable and also i'm i'm pretty surprised that this is a mythic too i don't know i, I don't know what to make of it i mean it <laughs> The fact that its toughness is so low means that at some point, I think this card was like really powerful and probably an important part of FFL with like some extra toughness tacked on. Again, complete hypothesis. I have no way of knowing this, but I'm just guessing. This feels like a card that at some point had a little bit more toughness associated with it and was just a little bit too good, which means it's it's on us to figure out where it stands now. Is it still super powerful at a 4-3? I don't yeah, know. It is. It is really hard to say. I do think that well, I mean, just from reading the internet, like people are kind of excited about this card and I don't know, I'm I'm not really seeing it, but I, I just have to get games in with it. I have to see the card in play, you know? Right. Tough one to evaluate. Next card is Reign of Notions, 1UB Sorcery, Surveil 2, Draw 2, Take 2. God, I love this card. Better read the bones? Are you kidding me? Well, it, it is two colors in all fairness. It's, it's better to me. That, that's what matters. The things I'm going to put in my graveyard are going to be awesome. I'm going to be putting in Chemister's Insight, maybe Narc Amoeba, maybe a bunch of other fun things that I'm going to get value out of. 
I'm going to, again, cast this card too much. It's going to ruin my experience with Standard for the next two years. This is right up there with Chemistry's Insight uh, with cards that I'm probably like a little bit too excited to play right now. I think Read the Bones, there have been many times over the past, however long it's been since we had Read the Bones, where I've built a deck and been like, man, if this deck had Read the Bones, it's just awesome. Exactly. That is exactly the type of thing I'm saying with like Borderland Ranger. Yep. Yeah, same same thing. Right. Reign of Notions is the the second card. Like District Guide is the first one where I'm like, oh man, this just fills so many holes. Reign of Notion is the second one. Yeah, and I am excited to build around this card and, and see what it's really capable of. And you know, I'm doing that thing that I've kind of been railing against since this set started being previewed, and that's doing like a lazy comparison. Like, oh, this is Read the Bones, and I have to, I have to check myself because this is better than Read the Bones. And if we make sure we're pushing this card as far as it can be pushed, it might do some really impressive things because Read the Bones was already an impressive card. Uh, and this goes beyond that in the right circumstances. Well, if, I mean, maybe we should go back to Dream Eater then. If if you're talking about Read the Bones, Surveil being, or sorry, uh, <laughs> Reign of Notions, Surveil being super important and potentially hitting things like Narcomoeba, I mean, what about Dream Eater? Yeah, and for the same reason. That's what I, I think Surveil 4 it's a very, very difficult thing to evaluate right now because we've never experienced Surveil 4. That's a huge number. I can kind of wrap my head around Surveil 2 a little bit. I can I can think about the theoretical applications, but man, Surveil 4 is so big. And depending on the payoffs, which we still don't know all of them, we've seen some very significant ones, but you know, Surveil could be even better than we anticipate it being right now. Right. If, It'll be interesting to see where that falls. If there is another card that ends up working well from the graveyard, Surveil just gets so much better immediately. Right, right. Well, the last card uh, for Demir-affiliated things is Disdainful Stroke. Nice little reprint. I was kind of scared of this card in general. I don't think that it necessarily did good things during Cons of Tarkir Standard, but I think that is a little bit more fair now because the theory is that like, oh, this, this card will rise up to stop the more expensive cards, like the mid-range decks, the slower decks, and then the fast decks can come back, right, and just get under this card. And there mm. there wasn't really a whole lot of options for that in Cons of Tarkir Standard. So Disdainful Stroke was just a main deckable card, and that never really changed. And it sucks to have these expensive cards that, you know, you want to play, you're incentivized to play, and then they just get whacked for mm-hmm. two mana. But I think that the aggressive cards are way better than they were during cons and that disdainful stroke is going to be less good this time around for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I think just the absence of siege rhino t- totally changes that entire paradigm, right? Cause you couldn't, no one was realistically attacking into uh siege rhino along with Corsair Crucifix. Like those were problematic cards to try and be aggressive into. Right. And that's just not the circumstances we're dealing with right now. To your point of like, oh, we want to play these fun big cards and we get them taken away. The first thing I thought of when I saw Disdainful Stroke is how am I going to cast Nexus of Fate? <laughs> so I I get that. And I get that it's a little disheartening. A lot of people see Disdainful Stroke as a good check on the format. It, it sounds like you're of the same opinion, just the broader circumstances of cons disabled that effect it, it it was unhealthy in that format i think things will be different this time around though i, I pretty much agree with you i do too i mean you look at things like legion war boss emera you have uh, upwards of 12 different burn spells like people have a lot of different ways that they can be 
going under other people and you really just get punished for having things like main deck disdainful stroke. So I'm, I'm actually fine with the card existing now. I do think that it is still very, very punishing for the decks that it's good against, but uh, maybe that's okay. I mean, we also have like duress now, which is completely different and completely changes things. Right. Right. That's true. So a uh, solid sideboard role player, unlikely to be main decked, but uh, probably going to do some stuff. On to Selesnia, we have a Mythic Rare, March of the Multitudes, XG, Dub Dub, Instant, Convoke, Create X, 1 1 White Soldier Creature Tokens with Lifelink. So this is kind of like a Court of Calling, but you just fireball for 1 1 Soldiers. So I was looking through Gatherer and looking uh, at the different amount of Soldiers because I wanted to play Radiant Destiny, right? And there are a lot of good Soldiers. Oh, that's, that's an interesting pickup. I hadn't thought about the tribal aspects of this spell. I kind of just like want to sit out evaluation of this card because I honestly have no idea where it falls. And let me tell you the thing I'm struggling with with this card is that like drawing it early on in multiples is like a death knell for your hand. You're basically guaranteeing your hand does nothing. But drawing it in multiples later on makes this card explosive and incredibly snowball-y and you know, it, I feel like I'm being incentivized to play like one copy and four copies at the same time. And I don't know where I fall on that spectrum. I would love some clarity on that. Do you see this as a four of in these style of decks? Or is this just like a, a one of top end that you're getting a little bit of, you know, closing power from? In order for this card to be a four of, you're definitely going to need more better one and two mana cards, I think, than what we have currently. So uh, Emra is obviously insane, right, at doing this sort of convoke mm-hmm. thing and is uh, a really, really good both payoff and enabler kind of. And I think I need to do a little bit more digging for cheaper creatures. But, you know, things like Adanto Vanguard just end up being a soldier, which is kind of weird because that card nice. is, is mostly like beat downy. It doesn't really strike me as this kind of go wide tokeny thing, but it it's still fine. It could fit. It's very good with Radiant Destiny. Uh, so I, th- I think the tools exist without Radiant Destiny. A lot of your cards are very weak to Chain Whirler, which is just going to be a constant struggle, I think. Mm-hmm. To your point, it's just like, do you really need multiples? Like, obviously, they do scale well together, but how many, you know, soldier fireballs do you need? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that right now, and it'll be interesting to see. I think you're spot on, though, that something has to be done to just not have this card look absolutely goofy in the face of Chain Whirler. Uh, Radiant Destiny is probably it. Uh, it seems like the safest way against any red deck to make sure your bodies are out of range. It's just a question of whether there's enough other soldiers to pump up. And time will tell. There could be more soldiers coming too. So, Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of the the Boros cards in this set are soldiers. So, Yep. Including this next one, Bounty Agent, 1-dub, 2-2, Human Soldier, Vigilance, tap, sacrifice this, destroy target, legendary permanent. That's an artifact, creature, or enchantment. This is a neat card. I'm I'm glad this exists. I like when there's like restrictive answers on bodies that can still attack and still do tribal things. Kind of the same vein as, as Goblin Crater Maker. I enjoy cards like this. And this seems fine. I mean, you have to be getting paid a little bit more. You want some humans or soldier synergies. And, and then this card goes to really, really acceptable rates. But I'm just happy to see flexible options like this for creature-based decks because it feels like they've been lacking a little bit recently. And a good tribal deck with a little bit more 
flexibility and less just like, okay, here are my stupid tribal things. Here's my Lord. Are you dead? Right. Uh, I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, I, I like that uh, Vigilance plays well with Convoke. It plays well with the Sacrifice ability. This thing can tag Search for Escanta, right. which is really nice, or any of the legendary creatures. It's a soldier. Uh, Vigilance also works well with uh, Path of Metal, which is a deck that I was trying to sketch out and was bemoaning the lack of good two-drops. So this, this kind of fills a hole there, too. So I, I like this card a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Next card is Beast Whisperer, which... This card is kind of scary to me. This is uh, 2GG, 2-3 for an elf druid. Whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. Glimpse of nature on a stick. Yeah. I mean, I I get that magic is not really about these sorts of things. For four mana, you could be getting a planeswalker, which is a little more easy to defend and everything. But if you get to untap with this thing, I mean, you're just going off, right? Yeah, you should just win the game in a lot of spots, I think. And this is a fragile card, so maybe that's okay. So I'm not the biggest elf head, but modern elves, legacy elves, does this have applications there? Yes, absolutely. This is an insane court of calling target. Yeah, I I think this might be a big piece to modern elves stepping up a level in the, I'm not saying it goes to tier one, but it's kind of like squarely in tier three right now. Maybe this is the push to tier two in a crazy world. Maybe this is actually tier one and, and things have completely changed. As far as standard, I'm less concerned. I think there's probably some nonsense you can get up to, but where we really need to watch out for this card is in the eternal formats where there's just a massive quantities of... I mean, really, the problem is Druid, right? Heritage Druid. (laughs) Where there's Heritage Druid, you have to be a little bit afraid of Beast Whisperer. We don't have anything quite like that as it stands right now. But I could see certain applications for this card in the right spot. And I love that it's a cast trigger, too. I love that instant value, so... Yeah, this card is is pretty strong. I mean, like like you said, we're going to see it more in Eternal formats, but uh, potentially something in Standard. I feel like these are the sorts of cards where I go down this rabbit hole and nothing ever comes to fruition. Yeah, I saw comparisons to like uh, Vizier of the Menagerie. I think those are a little bit unfair. I think this is quite a bit better than that card. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even still, there's room for this to be quite a bit better than Vizier and still see no play. Yes. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see true. where things shake out. All right. Last couple cards. We have Chromatic Lantern reprints, which is pretty nice. And this is one of the things that can, uh, unfortunately, enable the Goblin Chain Whirler status thing to be a little bit more legit. Uh, that's true. This, this is, But this goes bigger than that in most cases, right? Like the last time we saw Chromatic Lantern floating around standard, it was casting Door to Nothingness and Omniscience, which uh, Omniscience is around and Gilded Lotus is around. And there's a lot of fairly large mana and, as it stands right now. And a braid is gone. There is Conclave Tribunal. A braid is gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like there should be a a little bit less main deck artifact hate. Maybe very early on in the format, you can really lean into these huge mana spells uh, and get up to some omniscience shenanigans. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think what this, the equivalent payoff of like door to nothingness is, but that was kind of a gimmick anyway. You really didn't need door to nothingness in those decks. It yeah. I mean, a flashy way to kill. If you cast omniscience and then uh, nexus of fate, and then you have chemistry's insight, like, are you really losing? It's it's hard to envision a loss from that point. I, I mean, you can build your deck in such a way that if you cast Omniscience, you should win a very, very large percentage of the time, without a doubt. Yeah, and there's a decent amount of ramp things still, uh, Gift of Paradise. 
I forgot actually was in the core set. So that card is still legal, which is excellent for these decks. Oh, I was just going to scold you until you're rotated, but uh, good, good. I'm I'm glad that card is still here. Yeah, I, I like building Guilt of Paradise. Yeah, dude, I, I forgot last week. I was like, oh, the only thing that exists is New Horizons. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> nice, nice. Good find. And the very, very last card for now is Guild Mage's Forum, which is a non-basic land that taps for colorless and has one tap, add one mana of any color. If that mana is spent on a multicolored creature spell, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter. So not great, but strictly better than the shimmering grottos of the world and whatnot, which has already seen fringe play. So who knows? Well, uh, that's not that's not really true, though, right? Because this will always put you back a mana. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Rupture Spire. You're, you're, you're spot on. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a bad situation, you may default to Guild Mages Forum. This has a lot of other deck building restrictions that come with it. Even with a bunch of upsides strapped on to a card that I was very, very unhappy to play. Uh, although I admittedly did so. I remember like, it may have been a deck you popularized going back to... Yeah. And on last RTR, right? Unburial Rights on Titan, Desperate Ravings. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's exactly the deck I'm thinking of. And it certainly had Shimmering Grottos. I certainly played them unhappily. Uh, hopefully things aren't going down that road, but it's a good tool to be aware of and a little bit of upside to take them onto it. Yeah. And we have Rupture Spire and we also have Gateway Plaza, which is a functional Rupture Spire reprint. So if you are trying to do more than just a guild or a shard or wedge or whatever. You have Chromatic Lantern and some other five-color duels, so it is possible. Yeah, they will probably be the keys. I am very, very pleased with the cards that have been previewed. Same. I, I think there's, you know, there's there's small gripes I have about some design stuff, but on the whole, this seems like an exciting standard format. I I hope there isn't something oppressive to like close out all these sweet ideas. That would be such a nightmare. What I saw a lot in the last few sets is that there was always something that was just like so much better than everything else. I don't see that right now. No, there's nothing that in my eyes, I'm like, Oh, we are making a mistake by not playing this. And it was pretty easy to spot those things very early on in the last format. You were usually building in spite of something like, Oh, I think I can overcome this. I don't even know what I'm trying to overcome right now. I just, I just am building sweet decks and seeing what's the most powerful option. Yeah, it just looks like all these decks are doing sweet things and are probably just going to be bouncing off of each other. And that's cool. We all get to play magic. Great. Fingers crossed. All right. Do you have a question for us? I do. So this one comes from Callum Bowsfield. Callum might actually be our first two-time winner of Question of the Week. I'm not 100% sure on that. We'll have to check with the judges. But he asks, please settle the debate. What's the best cantrip in modern? And he gives as options, although I don't think we're limited to these options if you want to go outside of this. Serum Visions, Opt, Peak, Hieroglyphic, Think Twice, or Sleight of Hand. What about Thought Scour, man? I think Thought Scour is in the running. And I I know it's not a strict cantrip, but I would also put Faithless Looting in the running as well. Oh, well, then it's Faithless Looting hands down. Slam Dunk Faithless Looting if we allow that in? What if we don't allow it in? Serum Visions. I, I think it's still like classic Serum Visions. I think that... The other ones have corner case scenarios where you might consider one over Serum Visions for some certain reason, but Serum Visions is still the strongest, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mostly agree, but here's the problem with my agreement. It comes in a vacuum. 
So like as far as how I'm evaluating these cards, I think yes, Serum Visions is the most powerful one. The problem is that in almost every deck where I'm playing some of these cantrips, I'm playing Snapcaster Mage. And as I've played with Opt a little bit in Modern, while I recognize that on its face, it's it's worse, sure, Serum Visions is the more powerful card. The flexibility of getting your Snapcaster is just like this cantrip creature and, and playing at end of turn really opens up a lot, a lot of strategic options. Um, and I've appreciated Opt as I've been playing it lately. I don't know that I'm going to say it's number one right now, but it's starting to challenge for the throne. Serum Vision should feel unsteady in its ruling over the modern cantrip kingdom because I think Opt might be coming for it. I think Opt is so bad, just in general. And for all of these blue decks that are starting to play hieroglyphic illumination instead of it, I, I wholeheartedly approve of that. I don't know, man. I, I think that you are underestimating its combination with Snapcaster Mage. And in all other circumstances, I'm with you, basically. But all of these decks that are including these are playing Snapcaster Mage. Yo, ain't nothing wrong with Snap Serum Visions. I understand you you want to feel this nice, warm, secure feeling that, oh, man, I have all these options. But if your opponent wasn't going to play a spell that you had to counter anyway then it doesn't matter if you like snap serum visions or waited a turn to snap your cantrip, even though you want to keep your counter spell open. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. You're certainly there are spots where it does not matter, but I am often presented with spots where it does matter. And in those circumstances, I appreciate the flexibility. There's also like a lot of things that you have to evaluate in terms of like varying level of card quality within your deck. Like, is one card worth on average what any other card is worth? Or do you have different spikes, different cards you're looking for in different situations? Right. I, I think it really does depend. And all of that factored in together makes me still say Serum Visions is best. But I'm taking Opt at number two, and I think it's a close number two right now. I, I like Illumination in the context of the blue-white deck. I think that's a cool pickup. But I want it in addition to my Ops. Maybe I'm just greedy like that. But I, I really like the one or two copies I've seen creeping into lists lately. That's a cool addition. I'm not even sure that Opt is better than Peak. Oh, come on. I don't even think you believe that. And, and Peak is really bad, right? So how, how bad uh, must Opt I, I've be? played Peak before. I've played, I've played Peak in conjunction with Splinter Twin, Snapcaster Mage, and, you know, got by. <laughs> I don't know that it was the best option, but it was there. I, I'm not buying that, though. I, I don't think Peak is any better than Opt. I think the Scry matters. We can still hold out hope for our surveil cantrip, right? Do you think it's coming? Oh, God, no. Almost certainly not. What I mean, if you printed a card that was just one U, instant, no card draw, but surveil, what number would surveil have to be before it was playable? I mean, Tome Scour is already a card, right? Right. So, I don't know. It'd be like surveil four or something? Yeah, I wonder if three is good enough. That's that's oh, kind of where I fell. I thought four might be too good, but I would just be dredging with it. Obviously, you're not doing anything fair with that card, but yeah, and that's the yeah. problem when you start to get the four. Right. The answer is faithless looting. The end. Okay, faithless looting wins. Sorry, Colum, none of your nominees took it home this week. <laughs> what is it like to ask a question and then just totally not get the answer? <laughs> you don't get the answer. I think our listeners are used to that by now. They appreciate our tangents and our nonsense because we have the best listeners in the world. Uh, that is definitely true. That's a fact, actually. That's game.
Good luck. <laughs>